Could you tell us what worship is real quick? No. <laughs> I'm about to, actually. Oh, okay. Well, so how many of you, okay, first off, let's do a little poll. Who would pay $35 and who would pay $45? Raise your hand if you would pay $35. Raise your hand if you would wait 45 minutes. Everyone would wait for, Lindsay, you didn't decide. <laughs> That's all the comments you get. So most of you would wait. <laughs> so, how many of you have ever hurt yourself in an effort to protect yourself? Hmm. <laughs> so, I did this very thing this week on the way to visit my parents in Kentucky. We were, um, it was like 4 o'clock on Wednesday, and we were driving to Georgetown, and we wanted to get there much earlier in the day, like maybe by noon, but when Caleb and I had talked the night before, we were like, we really need to do this, we need to do that, and so our day got delayed, then we cleaned out the car, then we packed, then we got out of Nashville traffic, and then while we were in the car, we endured the 20 minutes of cry screaming that happens before kids fall asleep. And then there was like an hour of peace, which was wonderful. And then uh, finally we had to stop because we had to get gas, and we were going to get gas, go to the bathroom, um, get a snack, and then we were going to head on the road back to Kentucky and get there. This is our last. This is our last stop. Um, <clears throat> Caleb got out of the car with Story to take her into the bathroom, and I was pumping the gas. And as he left the car, he said, um, "Don't forget to lock the doors." Apparently, he also said, "And get your keys because I'm leaving mine in the car." But I didn't hear that part. So after I got done gassing out the car, I parked with Daly. And got her out of her car seat, and before I closed the doors, I was sure to lock the car, close the door, and I just forgot that I had laid my keys down next to Daly's car seat when I was unsnapping her. So, in an effort to be safe and secure and make sure no one stole any of our stuff, we actually were in the position of having to wait 45 minutes for roadside assistance to arrive or pay $35 to get the mechanic at the truck stop to actually break into our car to get our keys out of our car. <laughs> so in an effort for people not to break into our car, I paid money to have someone to break into our car. So uh, in this case, we paid the money. Daisy was like throwing a fit, throwing Doritos on the floor, and we still had two hours to go, and I was like, we are just paying that $35 and getting back on the road. It's kind of a bummer to pay $35 to, for someone to break into your car. So he chose to charge you $35 the day before he Oh, and the other guy said that was too little. So it was lucky we got the first guy. It's like the perfect opportunity to be like, you know what, it's Thanksgiving. You I, I have the ability to do this. You know, just it's amazing. Yeah. What's it worth, though? Mm-hmm. So the word... Maybe. <laughs> Might have just been off the top of his head. 
So the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah in our passage today. And Jeremiah is 24 years old. Is anyone here 24 years old? You're 24 years old? <laughs> no, wait, did someone raise their hand? No? Okay, anyone 23? I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> oh, okay, we got a lot of 23. Almost your, like next year. Next year, you guys. Uh, the word of the Lord comes to the prophet Jeremiah as a 24-year-old. And the Lord touches Jeremiah's lips. And he tells, the Lord tells Jeremiah that he's going to pluck up and pull down. That he's going to destroy and overthrow. That he is going to build and to plant. It's this calling of opposites. To destroy and to create. Destruction and creation. Despair and hope. And Jeremiah has this, the first prophecy of Jeremiah is this, about this boiling pot from the north. And surely this prophecy is the prophecy about Babylon coming in to Israel and taking Israel into exile. He was like the... Anybody watch the Great British Baking Show? Yeah. Okay, one of you will get this reference. He's like the... The host of the Great British Baking Show that has the bad news of telling the people like who's going home or who's leaving the tent. Jeremiah is like the prophet who has to give the bad news, right? Some, this is not a good thing that's about to happen. Um, and I can imagine that this message wasn't a comforting one. Jeremiah was a mouthpiece for God, calling the people to repentance. And when they refused, he called them into exile. And when they resisted exile, he called them to submit and concede to the Babylonians. A major job, a major part of Jeremiah's job as a prophet was to proclaim war, destruction, and pain. And it's really not the good news that you want to hear. Our passage today is probably uh, the most important of his prophecies. In fact, after uh, he speaks this prophecy, it's well thought, or it's well um, researched that he was actually arrested. So he goes to the temple in Jerusalem, speaks this prophecy, and then immediately they arrest him for speaking these words. So this, what he's about to say, is this big deal. It's called the Temple Sermon. So uh, this is in your handout if you want to follow along. Jeremiah chapter 7 starting in verse 1 to 11. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand in the gate at the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah, you that enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your doings, and let me dwell with you in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your doings, if you act justly one with another, if you do not oppress the alien, the orphan, and the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, if you do not go after other gods to your own hurt, then I will dwell with you in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your ancestors forever and ever. Here you are, 
trusting in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go to other gods that you have not known? An awful lot like the second half of the Ten Commandment list. And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are safe. Only to go on doing all of these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your sight? You know I, too, am watching, says the Lord. The word of the Lord. I, too, have been watching. It seems like there are reports every day, every moment, of disaster and despair and destruction. New reports of the impact of climate change come out every week, it seems. New challenges for immigrants come up in politics. New deaths by fire, flood, tsunami, earthquake. More information about deadly weapons, more mass shootings, new fears for security. I read on Facebook that the doomsday clock is two minutes to midnight. Like, I think that has to do with nuclear power, nuclear war or something. The closest it's ever been. I don't really even know what that means. But I also don't want to know what that means, if you know what I mean. It's like, at some point, it seems like all of this fear, like absorbing all of this information, isn't really productive. It's like I've had so much, there's so much to process that I just kind of want to protect myself from it. I want to like get in a blanket as if it's a shield and cuddle up and insulate myself and feel safe inside of all of this world of insecurity and threat and fear. See, the prophet Jeremiah comes to the people of God at a time not unlike our own. This was a time for the people of God of great political upheaval. The people, the populace, had elected a leader, one of the sons of the king who had just died. But this other power who had come to power said, no, that's not going to be your king. I'm going to put this other guy as your king. And so they had this leader that they feel like reflected them as a nation. They were facing the destruction of many of their holy sites. The things that they thought that they could cling on to were being destroyed. They were soon to face mass deportations. They were being ruled by a country that they didn't really support but had to pay homage to. And they were sort of stuck. It was this kind of time of desperation for them. And their faith in Yahweh, in this God who they had known as a God who provides and offers them a way out and provides safety for them and who helps heal them and and has acted for them over and over and over again and all of even the images and the icons and the things that they remember those stories by rest in this temple in Jerusalem in the Ark of the Covenant, in this holy of holies place. 
what can help the people feel safe. To go to this temple, to worship at this temple, to remember the God who had helped their people. And they would go into the temple and say, like Jeremiah tells us, this is the house of the Lord, the house of the Lord, the house of the Lord. It almost feels like a modern day praise chorus. This is the house of the Lord, the house of the Lord, the house of the Lord. They would chant their fears and worship the safety of the house. They would go in there because they were afraid of what was coming, what could be coming, potentially the destruction of their entire world, truly. And they went to this safe place to just feel for once a bit of safety in the midst of all of this overwhelming news. But then Jeremiah comes and stands at the temple and gives this sermon. And I can imagine that the people did not give comfort to them. In fact, it made them angry. So much so that they arrested him. Because Jeremiah called out what was happening there. He used this term, den of robbers, which is more than what we hear, right? So a den of robbers, which has been repeated by Jesus in the New Testament, but used in a different way. A den of robbers, when you're traveling on a road and find like a rock that is like carved out like a little cave that's warm and dry and safe, that would be called a den of robbers. It's somewhere safe to spend the night that keeps you safe from the elements. But Jeremiah uses this idiom, den of robbers, as the house of the Lord. You're treating the house of the Lord as this safe space, right? But at the same time, he calls out their falseness about their worship. That that they've made their worship of Yahweh about their own safety. And how they're stealing the show, robbing God of true worship, love for God and neighbor. You know, as I think about it, I think that our own desire for safety and security is probably the number one reason why we also don't do justice in our own lives. There's so much involved in doing justice, in being a people of justice, and it often confronts our own desires for safety and security. Let's just take one saying of Jesus. Matthew 5, 42. Give to everyone who begs from you. Now, if you live in Nashville, very, very quickly, this call makes me feel a little anxious about my own safety and security, right? I mean, I'm going to have to be dipping into my savings pretty quickly to give to everyone who begs of me. Starts to threaten my own financial security. And we are in uncertain times. We don't know what's going to happen. We need to save, right? We need to, to keep what we need. And once we take care of ourselves, then we can help someone else. 
But Jesus says to give to everyone who begs of you. But could it be that how we determine worth, what something is worth, is the very thing that defines our worship? So worship, the word worship, actually comes from an old English term, worth a sippy. Nailed it. I don't know how it's actually said. But the word, the root, it's it's worth. Worth is the root of worship, right? So worth-ship, the value of something. Could it be that what we value is who or what we serve? Could it be that how we determine worth is the very thing that defines our worship. Worthship, giving honor, giving value. The prophet Jeremiah reminds us is not showing up to a place or singing a song. It's about being a people who honor the image of God wherever it can be found. And if people are made in the image of God. And if the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, are the people of God honoring God in every corner, every crevice, and every crack of creation? In every purchase? In every pause? In every potluck? In present? In every person, 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 in every person? Are we honoring God in every person? Every peacock and partridge and pear tree? Every presence and pretense? Every pollution and plastic and planet and plant? and plan, and most especially with our neighbors, and the widows, and the orphans, and the immigrants. Worshiping God is not about singing songs, or raising your hands, or lights, or fog machines, or excitement, or horns, or dancing, or sacrifice, or snakes. It's about honoring the image of God wherever it can be found. Jeremiah reminds the people of God that the ritual of temple worship is worthless without loving God and loving their neighbor. That ironically, the people's worship of security is a sabotage. It's the very thing that's causing their destruction. It is a hard message to hear that being a child of God is not a call to safety, but a call to love. And a call to risk. Because siding with children, women, immigrants, refugees, loving God and neighbor is a risky business. It's not a safe business. There is hope, too. 
And I think the prophet Jeremiah, if we are to think deeply about his message, it ultimately is a message of hope. Because Jeremiah announced destruction, but he also announced creation. Jeremiah was both the prophet who prophesied the exile and the prophet who, once the people went into exile, said these things. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. <clears throat> Restart. Plant. Build. Birth. Grow. Be. Jeremiah proclaims destruction and creation. And maybe they're both good news. Maybe the death of destructive worship and the birth of love have to come together. I was driving somewhere. can't even remember where. But I was coming out of Lyle, which is this street that comes, enters my neighborhood. And I was supposed to turn left, but I was on autopilot, and I just turned right. (laughs) And I turned right, and I immediately realized it, like I turned the wrong way. And then I started thinking through in my head all of the different routes, like MapQuest in my head, Uh, like can I go this way and get there? Can I go this way and get there? And I literally, and this may just be because I'm bad at directions, but I literally could not figure out a way to get where I was supposed to be going and go, like, the way that I was going. So, like, man, shoot. And I'm, like, all about, like, like if we're going to make a detour, let's make it effective. Like, let's stop and get something we need on the way. And I was like, shoot, this is not effective, and there's no way to get to where I'm going from where I'm at. And so, like, right there on, what is that street? Foster. Right there on Foster. See, I'm not good with directions. <laughs> right there on Foster. There's two bike lanes. I don't recommend this. But uh, I, like, swerved into the bike lane and did a U-turn and then went back the other way. <laughs> there was no one coming, and there were no bikes. That's what they always say. Yeah. <laughs> I looked real good. <laughs> Sometimes we can't get to where we need to go by going the way that we're going. And we need a new turn. We need a change. Jeremiah calls Israel to turn around. And I wonder this morning how our worship needs to change. I'm going to invite Jason up. We're going to sing one more song. For the kids come back in. Send your hand out. Oh.